Father's Day to the fathers in the room. Um, thank you for being here with us and uh, worshiping Jesus with us today. Um, I just want to apologize right off the bat and just let you know why sometimes I'm not, probably not getting choked up. Whenever you hear me stop mid-sentence, I have uh, a cough that I don't know where, where it came from. It may have come from uh, an allergy uh, or it may have come from something else. I don't know. It could be the new tatami in our apartment that we just uh, moved into. But um, either way, that's what's going on there. So anyway, our text is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And we're going to... What I'm going to do is I'm going to do something a little different here. I'm going to ask... Ask a father if a, if a father could read um, our text today. Can I get a volunteer? I haven't asked anybody beforehand. I'm just asking. Is there a father in this room that wouldn't mind reading our text today? Baron, thank you. Should be right up here. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tell me when you're ready. Go ahead. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Thank you very much, brother. Uh, amen. So that's our text for today. And uh, we're talking about family worship. As we get into the word today, um, I just want to say God has not only given fathers um, and mothers an honorable calling, different callings, as we'll see as we get into this, but uh, he's given us these callings to lead our children in, in family worship, but he's given us the means of grace to accomplish that. He's not left us alone. He's not saying, here you go, here's some kids, and uh, you know, make them worship me. Um, he's given us his word, he's given us grace, he's redeemed us, he's sanctifying us that we would lead them uh, in worship of the one true living God. So before we get started, I just wanna kinda tell you where we're going. I want you to take away from today two contexts and two types of worship. The two contexts are contexts in which family worship takes place that's helpful for us to understand. Um, and the first context is our inclinations to, uh, towards distorted postures and distorted roles in the family. And the other context is our, um, our inclination towards holding idols rather than worshiping the true and living God. So those are the two contexts, the two types of family worship you'll be taking away from today is scheduled family worship and opportunity-based family worship. So before we get to the context or the types of family worship, 
Let's define what I'm talking about here. Whenever I say a family, because we, we use family in a lot of different ways. We have a church family, but that's not what I'm preaching about right now. Uh, I'm talking about the family that is related by marriage, blood, or adoption. Those people right there. New families are established by marriage. You don't have a family when you just have kids. You have a new family whenever marriage takes place. When two people are married, it is a family. And they grow through birthing and or adopting children. That's how they're supposed to grow. Some guys in the Old Testament got some weird ideas and forgetting, forgetting maybe the singular tense of clinging to their wife. Um, and uh, in, in Genesis 2.24, God said a man is to leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, uh, forming a new family by their marriage. This was God's design. And then they are to together build a home that is designed and um, conducive for raising children up in the ways of the Lord. This is a family. This is the, the foundational institution of human society. Any society that neglects or oppresses the family is on a destructive course because God has ordained that human society would build out from families. Now, another foundational piece I'd like to lay before we get into it is this. Families exist in time. Families exist in time. This is, a, this is important understanding the context in which family worship takes place. Families have a history, they have a present, they have a future. They have memories that they share together, they have current struggles that they share together, and they have hopes that for the future that they share together. They experience the passage of time in all of its beauty and all of its brutality together. Now, when we practice family worship and we rehearse the gospel together as a family, what we are doing is mom and dad are bestowing upon their children and in doing it over and over in more practices of family worship, renewing, bestowing and renewing the gospel lenses that we are giving to our children through which they can view the beautiful times and the brutal times and redeem every time for the glory of God and for our family's joy in him. Instead of in the beautiful times thinking, you know, the kids are good, they're doing good, they're doing good in school, everything seems to be fine, they're not talking back, it's good. And we can tend to drift into forgetfulness of God in those times and thinking, well, maybe we don't have to give the extra effort of doing family worship every day. Maybe we can, you know, just cruise a little bit. But our hearts can't drift into that forgetfulness. And likewise, also, whenever things get brutal, whenever the waves are just crashing over us again and again and again and things are not going our way, Whenever life seems brutal, we can't let our hearts be tempted to uh, curse God. And so whether we're going through the beautiful times or the brutal times, we want to lead our families to walk in thankfulness and in sacrificial love and service for God and others in all times. Now let's zoom out a little bit real quick before we get into the context of the fall. Let's look at the big picture of time just for a second. And think about your family's place. Your family is located in a place in God's redemptive work throughout history. You have a place in that. God has a plan for your family. He has good things for your family. 
And he has them through the means of grace that you can pick up that he has given and the grace that he's given you respond to it and you lead your family in, in that worship. He has good things for you. So families are a thread throughout history. They're not just merely in abstract genealogical records. They are threads through culture and education and faith. What endures, endures because a new generation has picked it up. And what fades, fades because the next generation has laid it down. Each new generation that rolls in, they pick some things up and they lay other things down. The role that mom and dad, what you have, is giving them those interpretive lenses, giving them the points of reference, the indicators, the gender roles, the attitudes, you shape them. You really do. And if, and if you're here today and you think, wow, I don't feel like I really have that much power in my kid's life. They kind of, you know, they do, they do this or they do that and I try to do this and they don't do it and we just do what we do. And so that's how it goes. <clears throat> I would encourage you today to take what I'm committing to you today in, in God's word, the, the family worship practice and put it to use and I really think that God will work by his spirit to work great things in your family. Maybe not in your timing, maybe not within a week. I think some things will happen in a week, but some things won't. will take years of deposits of the rehearsing the gospel to build in your family. It's not like winning the lottery, like, well, I keep buying a ticket and eventually I'm gonna hit the jackpot and I'm done, set. It's not how family worship works. It's more like a Roth IRA. You make the deposit, the deposit, 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 goes on for weeks, for months, for years, for decades. And that's how you build your family in God is those regular deposits, consistent deposits of the gospel. So all these things that we do factor into what the new generation will pick up and what they will lay down. <clears throat> Now let's take this time, time aspect here. Let's use it as a vehicle a little bit to explore our topic. I want you to imagine with me for a second. Turn on your imaginations and think of, let's go back to the first slide. Think of this piece of equipment right here, this old slide projector. Families would use, they'd take pictures, have memories, they'd put them in there and they'd display them uh, uh, for, to, re, to remember the times that they had together. Let's imagine that you've got one of these. And um, Ron is not here. I was going to ask him how this actually works, but um, he's not here. Hopefully, I'm just going to wing it. <clears throat> if I'm wrong, maybe none of you will know because you may not know either. So I'm just going to, we're just pretending, all right? So this doesn't really have to happen. But um, so let's say that you look in your closet and you find one of these. And it's got some slides already loaded into it. And they're slides from your family's past. And you set it on the coffee table. It's pretty dusty, but you turn it on. It warms up. It seems to work. I think they warm up. I don't know. I don't know how this works. But I'm just, bear with me, all right? Pretend, okay? And so it, it warms up and it, it, uh, uh, it begins to display something on the wall. And it's, it's a faded old picture, but you can still make out what's captured. And just imagine for a second, just imagine that this is, this is a really old picture way back in your family, way back, the Garden of Eden, okay? That's quite a family heirloom. You could sell that for a pretty penny on eBay, especially if you packaged it together with that 
uh, um, frosted flake that looks like Mother Teresa that you've got. <clears throat> you get some pretty good money out of that. But anyway, just pretend for, for just a second that you've got a slide on there uh, this, this starts in the beginning, the Garden of Eden. And let's say you're looking at this and you're able to, as you inspect it, you're able to place it. It's Genesis 3.16. God, Adam, Eve, and the serpent. And God is telling Adam the consequences of their rebellion against him. This is a watershed moment in the history of the, the, uh, the, the, the family institution. God tells Adam that he and all of us too, that's why I'm telling you, this isn't just Adam, all of us too as their descendants would experience conflict in their roles in the family. There's other things that they're going to experience, but I just wanna zero in on the conflict in the roles of the family that God says are now going to happen. Men and women are going to experience attitudes and desires that are contrary not only to one another, but contrary, most importantly, contrary to and misaligned with God's design for family roles. Some solid commentary I've read on this says that at this point, men would have a sinful, distorted desire to dominate and rule over their families rather than lovingly leading them, and that women would have a sinful desire to oppose and to assert leadership over the man. Other commentary on the whole of scripture can fill this out a little bit. There's actually a spectrum. Men can, can be tempted to dominate over their families or they might go the other extreme and abandon and neglect responsibility. Those are both things that God does not have for us. Ladies may assert leadership over the man or oppose the man, but they may also uh, go to the other extreme and be subservient and not ask questions and not allow themselves to think uh, their own thoughts and not question anything. These are not what God has for us. These are distorted postures towards our roles in the family. And these are, the, these are consequences, consequences of humanity's original rebellion against God that affect us today in the home. So I bring this up because whenever we are leading our children whenever we are rehearsing the gospel with our children. We're experiencing this. This is still with us today. Even as we're being sanctified, we're called in Christ Jesus, our hearts still tend to these distorted postures towards our roles in the family. But God's people are called to humbly submit themselves every day to his design and by his grace resist the temptation to take on these distorted roles. Back to the old slide projector. You click to the next slide, and by the way, you're in luck. Complimentary gift for you today for coming. Thank you for coming. You get a remote to click through the slides in your slideshow. The standout feature of this remote is that it is invisible, and it requires a good bit of your imagination, again, but it's free. You can keep it, you take it home, it's yours, no returns, all right? It's yours, keep it, all right? Your complimentary gift for coming today, you can flip through those slides in your slideshow. Works really, really good. Um, so you click to the next slide and you see a picture of the entire people of Israel and they're assembled and you see, you see Moses standing before them. This is where we get our text from. During the time of Moses, God established the formal institution of family worship. 
And out of all the instructions that God passed to Israel through Moses, because they are many, um, if you've ever tried to read the Bible all the way through and you get to Exodus and there's this like this, there's this there's wilderness between Exodus and, and Deuteronomy and everything, it's so rich, it's so good, but it's hard for us to access these days that doesn't, the, the meanings and everything like that, the application is, is distant and everything, but there is really a lot of richness in that. And I, I, John has said this before and I'll say it as well. If, if you're reading through the scriptures, press on. Read through it. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Leviticus can get, woo, it can get, you know. But read through. Keep going. Press in. I chose Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 um, because of the way it captures the essence and scope of family worship. And I say the essence of family worship, the three verses, the first three verses, 4, um, 5, and 6 go deep. They go inside us the essence of family worship. I'm going to read it again, verses four, five, and six. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, verse four here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is a statement of exclusivity. Our God, whom we worship, is one. And there is no one and no thing beside him that deserves worship. It's not on his level. There's nothing on his level that deserves this worship. God alone has the exclusive right to worship. And then verse five takes this exclusive worship and tells us how far, to what extent, should this permeate our lives. This is a big deal. I mean, I could, I'm gonna say this and this is just gonna go boop. Okay, makes sense. It's going to do that because, you know, it's just, it's, it's just words if it's just words. But if, you, if you're really listening, if you have ears to hear this right now, this is huge. This is really big. The extent of this exclusive worship should be all our heart, all our soul, and with all our might. Every thought, desire, motive, attitude, fantasy, etc., God has called to be aligned in worship with Him. No problem, right? No problem. Yeah, it's a cinch. No. Our hearts do not naturally do that. It's not like our hearts just by default give all our worship to God and then, oh, we, we may come in and choose to do something. No, our hearts are inclined to give worship to other things not to God. The kind of worship that God deserves and the only legitimate kind of worship that he recognizes is all our heart, all our soul, and with all our might. And the, alternate, the alternative to that is not really worship at all. It's idolatry. The alternative is idolatry, to trust in anything or to, to lean on anything as, as our crutch, as our rescue, as, as the thing that's gonna bear our weight, the thing that's gonna come and help us whenever we need it. If it's not God, it's an idol. And I'll tell you what, anything that's not God is not gonna come rescue you whenever you need it. God is the only one who will show up and rescue you and be there when you need him. Idols do not. Idols have to be carried. You carry them. They don't carry you. And so they don't give life to us. They don't 
rescue us. They don't free us. Now, what's that got to do with the family and family worship? Let me say this. Earlier, I said that families play a crucial role in what the next generation picks up and what it lays down. Idols get passed from generation to generation. And every toxic and warped interaction and condition in our families has an underlying idol because idolatry underlies all of our sin. We don't sin out of worship to God. We sin because we are worshiping something else, whether it be ourselves or things or possessions or comfort or entertainment, whatever it is. From drunkenness to short fuses to arrogance to sexual immorality, family sins exist because family idols exist. Without the gospel of Christ bringing daily renewal into the home, family environments do not become naturally these places where, uh, where children are going to grow up in the ways of the Lord. Instead, it works against us. We have a bunch of broken people at different points of brokenness, and, and they're all in close proximity together, and the brokenness gets amplified by everybody being together and maybe even having the same blind spots, clutching to the same idols, falling into the same ditches. That's one reason why it's really helpful that God instituted the church so that all his families will get together with other families who can help us round each other out, chip off the edges, because maybe people in our own family are blind to the same things we're blind to. But other families, they may be embodying other attributes of Christ and they can shed light just by being around them just shed light into our families, into the darkness that our families dwell in in different areas. Now, I want you to all pick up your, your, your complimentary clickers, and I want you to do something for me. I just want to ask you to take 15 seconds, and I want you to click through a few slides. I want you to click through the things that you are tempted to rest in, the things that you're tempted to love, the things that you're tempted to to lean on other than God. I'll give you 15 seconds. I'm going to participate with you. Go. You got a few? Did you flip through a few? You might not have the whole exhaustive list. I only gave you 15 seconds. And also, um, sometimes we're blind to some of the idols that we hold on to. And as we grow in Christ, we learn more about God and ourselves. And those two types of knowledge right there reveal idols. And, but let's start with what flipped through your mind whenever I gave you that 15 seconds. The things that you just flipped through in your mind, those are the things that you need to put down every day. A lot of times when we put down idols, it's not a one and done thing. We have to put it down every day. We have an inclination toward it. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something that really has a hold on you and you have to every day put it down. That's usually what we have to do. So I recommend to every parent in this room that you, <coughs> excuse me, you set aside a time in the morning before the kids get up and before your role as family worship leader begins 
meditate on Christ and set your heart on Christ and intentionally pray against your own inclinations to pick up those idols and start worship, jumpstart that worship in your heart in the morning. I know the other day I was just watching some music videos on YouTube and it kickstarted worship in my heart. And I just got to the place where I was just like, oh God, you're awesome. You're amazing. And I was just in worship and I was ready to go. That might be hard to get to every morning, but you can at least set aside a time in the morning where you intentionally make an effort to set your heart on Christ. You may, you're gonna have off days. You're not gonna feel amazing every morning, but if you set aside that time and intentionally make that effort, God will honor that effort. He will meet you there. You're not gonna feel crazy good every day, but you can begin worship in the morning every day. You can begin worship. And I'll say this, and I think a lot of parents are gonna know this in this room, and anybody who's done youth ministry especially knows this because teenagers are amazing at this. They see right through, they see right through it. If we are not embodying what we're talking about, kids see right through it. So if we're, if we're thinking like, you know, ah, I can just tell them to do what they need to do. I don't really need to get that in my heart first. I'm gonna tell you, kids see it. They detect realness and they detect phoniness. They detect the fakeness. They are like, they are like allergic to fakeness. That's how much they can detect it. And, uh, and when they're teenagers, they'll, they'll call you out on it too. They'll tell you straight up like that, nope, you know, I know you're saying that, but like, look what you just did. You know, my two-year-old is not at that place yet. Thank you, God, that I don't have to go through that yet. But the time will come. The time will come. Kids will look like, wait, Dad, you exist in time. You are not in a vacuum. You do not, you're not separated from what you just did. So, like, I don't see any repentance. I don't see, you know, so you're just telling me to do this, and you just did that. Look, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. If, you're, if you mess up in front of your kids, I would recommend you repent in front of your kids. I would recommend that, um, you know, you have to use your judgment. What things you say, maybe you offended your spouse or you hurt your spouse. You have to use your judgment about how much to show your kids. But I think that it'd be helpful that your kids see you apologize to your spouse and you repent before them. Because if they don't, all they saw was one little part of the process, you messing up. They didn't see it uh, rehearsed in front of them and ex an example given in front of them of after we mess up, after we do, we sin, this is how we repent. What a great example you can give to your kids. Repentance. This is how repentance works. And let them see you lay your idols down too. I think that it's good to share with your kids, you know what? You already know this because you see me, you know, you may already know this because you, you see me lose my temper or something like that. I want you to know, dad kind of, his heart has an inclination because, because he's not perfect in Christ Jesus. He's got, a, he's got an inclination towards us. He needs to grab hold of Jesus every day and lay that down. Talk to your kids about that. That is real gospel worship right there in front of your kids. All right, so... I would say this, if, if we can get the first three verses down, if we can get the first three verses where, where we, we've kickstarted the worship, the next three verses, I would say, 
they go pretty naturally after we do that. They, get, they, they, they tend to happen, but um, whenever we don't, whenever we, we just forsake that time, I think it's like walking through wet cement and our kids are calling us out all the way. It's brutal, it really is. I tried it as a youth pastor. Tried to tell them, well, I didn't have time to, yeah, we're not listening. We want them to listen. Bottom line, right? We're not here to waste our time. We're not here to do family worship to check off a, a checkbox. You don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. Fathers, we don't have time to waste our time. So let's get it right. Let's, let's worship God in our own hearts before we try to lead our kids in worshiping God. Back to the old projector. You click to the next slide. This slide right here, it may or may not exist in your, in your slideshow. This slide would be the slide of you sitting down with your family to do family worship. And singles, I wanna say this to you. This, don't tune out. This applies to you as well. Uh, you may not have a family yet. You may, this, this sermon may be something that prepares you for, for leading your family uh, and family worship down the road, but also you have disciples or you, you can have disciples and you should sit down with them and lead them in worship. And while you don't have a family, um, you, you, can, you can lead disciples. So I wanna say that. And I wanna ask this, is this slide in your slideshow? Is, is, is that story of your family, if it was put up visually on a slideshow, is it gonna show father sitting down with, with the family and leading them in family worship? Now, a couple things I wanna say. One is, I wanna be honest with you that I grew up, my dad did lead our family in family worship. It wasn't every day. It was more the opportunity-based stuff that whenever the opportunities came up, dad capitalized on them. But I w I've been introduced in the last few months to the regular scheduled family worship, and I've just begun practicing this. So I'm not standing up here saying, you know, you need to do this. I've been doing this all my life. Just started, okay? Just started, and you can start too. And I'll, let me say this. This is not another thing to add to your list. There's things that you can probably drop because this is much higher priority. You can take 10 minutes with your kids to do this and drop something else that takes 10 minutes of your time. You can not look at the news for the day and do this. And this is much higher priority. So is this slide in your slideshow? If it's not, it's not, uh, I don't bring that up to make you feel condemned, but rather I want to commend to you this practice and I want you to know that this practice is something that you should do with your family. So let's unfold the rest of our text and I, before we do that, I have a couple quotes I wanna share with you. The first is from Pastor William Bokstein in a 2014 article on family worship. In the article, he writes this. Every family has a God Every day, young adults leave home with the gods of self-fulfillment, money, leisure, work, or even ministry. Some leave home with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To a large extent, the difference is determined by our family's worship in the home. I have a second quote from a pastor named Joel Beek uh, speaking at a conference in 2011. He said, it isn't perfect, but it is critical. 
Family worship is the foundation of child rearing. As family worship goes, so will go the family. The head of the family and leading his family in covenant faithfulness to God is perhaps the most significant way God has used as a means of saving grace. And this begs the question, how should we practice family worship? What does it look like in our homes? Well, one aspect touched on here in Pastor Beek's quote is uh, that fathers should take responsibility to lead family worship if they are present. Fathers, let me say this. You might be married to a high-capacity, highly skilled wife who may be a better teacher than you. That may be it. That may be the case. It is the case sometimes. Nevertheless, God has called you to lead family worship in your home. God did not say... Um, the person who is the more skilled, who knows more of the Bible, this or that, this or that. God called Adam in the garden. Whenever him and Eve sinned, the first person he called was Adam. And then later in the New Testament, when men are called to be elders in the church, one of the qualifications is that their home be in order. Men are responsible and ultimately accountable for the orderliness of their homes and what's happening in their homes. Now, you may be on temporary duty, you may be gone, and your wife is fully capable of doing this, and she should. And there is also a wonderful, precious place for even whenever you are present and you aren't gone, that a mother's teaching has a critical place in children's lives. Whenever you're at work or uh, whenever you are gone, uh, the mother should be teaching the children. But I want to say that ultimately the accountability, the responsibility rests on you, men. It rests on you. And you can do this. You can read scripture with your children and you can lead family worship. What else can we say about family worship? I think that verses seven, eight, and nine imply two kinds of family worship. Scheduled family worship and opportunity-based family worship. Let's look at the first part of verse seven here. You shall teach them diligently with your children. Diligently, I want you to pull that word out of that sentence right there and focus on that. How, <coughs> excuse me, how do we teach our children the word of God with diligence. According to Merriam-Webster, diligence is characterized by steadiness, earnestness, and energetic effort. How can we pull that off? I'm gonna say that just due to the rhythms of life, I don't see how it's possible without setting aside a time every day and scheduling worship. You, you can leave here today and be like, John, good sermon, family worship, really important. Whenever the opportunity comes up, I am gonna do that. I am gonna, I'm gonna kill it. Whenever, whenever the kids, we, we see something or we were in a situation, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that opportunity. I wanna say, you shouldn't just do that. That's great. That's one that we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes. You should also schedule because one thing I know about life is if we don't schedule something, it's probably not gonna happen. It's probably not gonna happen if we don't put it into our schedules. And so if, I think you can do this. I know you can do this. You can schedule a time. You can, you can find out a time whenever the, the family can all assemble in one, one space, morning or evening. It doesn't matter. Whatever works better for your family. And you can sit down and you can lead family worship. Now, what should happen during that time? You're like, all right, all right. I'm, I'm with you. I'm listening. 
We should sit down, we should have family worship, but what do we do? What, what, what's gonna happen during this time? What, is it, what does it look like? There are three basic elements that you should include in your family worship time. You can go crazy with it. If you're a Pinterest person, you can look on Pinterest, you look on the internet, you get all kinds of ideas and go crazy with it. It's all right. But include scripture, singing, and prayer. Those three elements right there should be in your family worship. You can add on different things that work well with your family. You can memorize scripture. You can go through a short catechism together. You can sing a catechism if your kids are little. My daughter is just two years old, but we started, uh, we got the, it's a free app, the New City Catechism, great catechism. Turn on children's mode and play the music. Mahari's already been singing the, the question, you know, who, who, who is God? He's the creator of everyone and everything. I was like, this is amazing. I'm not taking credit for that. Melissa got her started on that. So I'm giving credit to my wife there for starting Mahari on the catechism. Those can be very helpful in establishing long-term and comprehensive doctrinal foundations in your children's lives. Um, You can do question and answer with varying difficulty for different ages. Whatever you do, I encourage you to include the elements of scripture, singing, and prayer. Those cover a lot of ground right there. They cover the the core and the basic aspects of worship. So include those. Um, Dr. Don Whitney wrote a book on family worship and I would recommend it. Took me an hour and a half to read it. It's short, it encourages you and gives you some insight. Even gives you, you know, people insight into some cases like what if, what if dad's not in the picture or what if dad's not a believer or whatever. Some good insights in this book, I'd recommend it. It's called Family Worship in the Bible in History and in Your Home. But what I wanna bring out of it for you is this. He gives three simple principles, and it's be brief, be consistent, be flexible. You know, sometimes me as a father, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are really good about going with the flow, but me, I like my schedule. I like doing the same thing every time, and I could be rigid about that. And we should be flexible because um, if I've learned anything the last three years about being around 50 teachers at a school is there's this thing called differentiation and they have whole classes and workshops on it and everything like that. It boils down to you need to have a different voice and a different approach for each kid that learns differently. Just differentiate your voice. And that's where the flexibility comes in. Not every kid you can talk to the same way. Your sons and your daughters and different sons and different daughters, they're going to need to be talked to differently. And you as a father, as you get to know them, that's gonna happen naturally, what they need. But I'd also bring out the briefness part. We want this to be sustainable, fathers. I know that a half hour or 45 minutes or an hour may, get, may, may equal a really good time. I don't know, maybe for your kids as well, but... Uh, 10 minutes can be sufficient, 10 minutes. And 10 minutes is sustainable and it's workable into your schedule throughout the day. 10 minutes gives you enough time to read through a scripture, to sing a song and to pray with your kids. Remember that family worship is a long-term investment. It's not a course that we lay for one year or three months or, or whatever. We want this to be something that is throughout our kids' lives a deposit on a regular basis. So that's the scheduled practice of family worship. It's pretty simple. You can make it as, as 
crazy and, and add on all kinds of stuff as you want to and things that are just fun and, and work great for your family, but it's very simple at its core. Now let's look at the rest of verse seven here and verses eight and nine. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm not gonna belabor the point. The point is simple here. We should teach the word of God at every, any and every opportunity that comes up. We have these pairs in here, sit, walk, lie, rise. Point is, when the opportunity comes up, teach your kids. Use that opportunity to, to teach them about, about worship of God. The word of God and the worship of, of God should be interwoven into every aspect of our family life. While the scheduled times ensure the consistent rhythm in your home, the opportunity-based times fill our kids' lives with all these little snapshots of God's transforming work in all of life. Now, I'm gonna bring up something my dad did. I don't know if this is PC. I don't know if this is okay. I don't know if this is something you wanna do. Um, I think it's scriptural. I think it's scriptural. And I'll tell you why I think it's scriptural. But first, let me tell you what he used to do. My dad was, just had an evangelistic personality. He could never get through the cashier line without telling somebody about Jesus. And as a kid, I was like, come on, dad, let's get home. You know, like, come on. Like, you gotta tell everybody about Jesus. Like, now I'm like, this is awesome. I wanna be like my dad. You know, like, I aspire to be that way. Um, he would minister to people and uh, we, we'd cross paths with people that, you know, they may visibly just, re it's readily apparent that their lives are in rebellion to God. Maybe by the way they're treating somebody else, maybe by the way they're talking, maybe by their level of being inebriated. Um, you know, we, you, you're gonna, you cross paths with people who, you can tell their lives are, are in rebellion to God. And, and dad would, would minister to them and he'd share the gospel with them. And then afterwards, he'd pull me aside and he'd say, look, John, see that person? That person we just talked to, uh, that person's life is a wreck. That person's life is a wreck because of sin and because of things that they're clinging to. Now, we, min we minister to that person and we're gonna pray for that person, but I, I wanna point something out to you don't go down that road that they're going down right now. We're trying to lead them out of that road, but if they stay going down it, it's an example of something that you do not wanna do. You see that? That's not what you wanna do. That's not the road you wanna go down. And I bring that up because I think it's scriptural because we see in the book of Proverbs, a father calling out to his son and saying, don't be like the sluggard, don't be like the drunkard, and talking about the, the life that that leads to, and the end of that life, the end of that road. In Proverbs 7, the writer is instructing his son and saying, I saw a young man going down to the house of the adulterous woman, and he's telling his son, don't go down that road. It leads to death, son. It leads to death. Her house goes down into hell. It goes to death. It's a highway to death, sexual sin is. And so, I wanna bring that up to you today because family worship isn't all cheery. It isn't just bring up the positives and the uplifting. Sometimes you gotta point your, at sin and call it sin and say, 
that's poison for your soul. And you don't wanna go down that road. And you gotta point out those things. It's just like if you were chasing your kids away from poison, chasing them away from something that's going to kill them because it's gonna kill their souls. And so I just wanna bring that up, that that's something we should include. We should take those opportunities to say, don't go down that road. You see that? It's a, it's a picture right now. You don't wanna be that person and, and be reaping the rewards that they're reaping right now and be experiencing the lostness that they're experiencing right now. All right, with that being said, I'm, I'm, I'm circling the plane and the plane's getting ready to land, all right? So we're getting there. I got two things to do. One is this Opportunity-based worship has infinite possibilities. I could go on and on about all these pictures you could give your kids. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna point out two pillar families. We've seen, we've seen so many examples that have inspired us in pillar families. In all of your families, there are attributes of Christ that are being embodied, okay? So, but I can't bring up y'all. I, you know, we'd be here all day. So I, I just chose two, all right? For, for, for believing families, the worship of God should not be a compartmental thing. It should be woven into the DNA of the family. I wanna bring up first the free family, uh, Jack and Michelle. Uh, we're so blessed. There's, just, there's a lot of things that, that have inspired us about the free family. But one thing I just wanna bring up today is that, and especially came out the last time we were hanging out, was just how, how they excel at, at having fun and laughing. And if you, if, you, if you didn't grow up knowing what worship through fun and laughter looks like, spend some time with the free family. There's a lot of ways that you're gonna get blessed, but that's one thing that you're gonna see. I saw Jack sitting down and, and, and Michelle as well with their, with their kids, and, and, and Jack wasn't, wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like, I could, you didn't see on his face, like, Man, I wish I didn't have to play this game. I'd rather be somewhere else right now, rather be on the beach, rather be doing this, I'd rather be doing a lot of things than playing this game. That wasn't on his face. He was in the moment. He was having fun with his kids. They were laughing with him. He was present, and it was a worshipful moment that it wasn't, hey, kids, we're gonna sit down and read the scripture. It was the other kind. It was, we're gonna take this opportunity. My kids wanna play a game. I'm gonna be with them right there and we're gonna spend this time together as a family and I'm gonna show them what it's like to have fun and worship God through our fun. The other family, <clears throat> excuse me, that I wanna point out is the Clay family. Uh, Chad's in uh, uh, Korea right now. Um, Chad's got a pretty cool job. Um, I'm pretty sure that Chad's done things in the past I've only done in video games. So um, David Sutherland too, man. Like, wow, you know? Uh, a lot of you guys have cool jobs and I'm inspired whenever you tell me what you do. Um, so Chad, Chad and Jessica, they lead our Yomitan missional community. And I was personally, one night, I was inspired to get back into scripture memorization because they were, they were just rattling off scriptures that they had memorized. I was like, man, I need to get back into that. This is like, this is good. This really seems good to my soul. So I got back into it because of Chad and Jessica Clay spending time with them. And I wanna say this about them. I know that not a single man in this room, in his flesh, including me, 
wants to come home after a long day of work late in the evening and jump right, right, right after coming in the door, jump right into entertaining guests in the home. But that's what Chad does. As soon as he comes home, a lot of times his work keeps him till MC's already started. Jessica has things ready. We start and Chad comes in later and he immediately, without any Chad time, he comes over and he lovingly leads his family and selflessly and generously serves our, us as guests in his home. And uh, that's, that's what he does. And it's, it's like worship to God. And he doesn't seem to do it begrudgingly either. He comes in and it's just like, this is what I do because I love God, because I'm here to worship God. I wanna also mention that Jessica, in addition to caring for three children during the day, um, she makes their home a hospitable and welcoming place. And she doesn't do that for her own private gain. She does that so that others be led in worship of God through community. So the examples that we see in pillar families of the worship of God in everyday life have provided us with inspiration. It's like this. It's like adding color. It's like adding three, dimension, uh, three dimensions to the gospel. Like it makes these words jump off the page and be like incarnated. Like in the flesh, we see pictures of what the worship of God is like lived out in everyday life through broken vessels like me and you. So this really is my conclusion right here. We have one more slide, the legacy of family worship. So you start clicking and you're clicking, wonderful things going on. Eventually, boom, you hit a slide, you're not in it. Eventually that's gonna happen. You're not gonna be in the slides anymore. Sooner or later, God knows, you're not gonna be in the slides. What legacy are you going to leave? What is going to be the legacy that you're going to leave. I would submit to you today that the regular deposit of the gospel in your children through both scheduled and opportunity-based worship will gain you a legacy that is far greater than anything else you can accomplish on earth, whether it be the rank you achieve or the money or the physical or mental accomplishments, all, all awesome things, really cool, doesn't even compare to the legacy you leave by investing in your children. Doesn't even compare. I'm gonna end with this story from someone who left a legacy through the practice of family worship. I remember it very vividly. I was working my first job in a grocery store and I saw the headline back in 2003. Space shuttle Columbia disintegrate. Seven astronauts are killed. It was a tragedy. It was, it was such a tragic loss for our nation. But let me, let me point something out here that we don't know all the things that God redeemed out of this because he's, he's so sovereign and he is an expert and a master at redeeming tragedies. I'm gonna pull out one thing that he did out of this that was just amazing. One of the astronauts that were killed was named Rick Husband. He was the commander of that space shuttle. He was 45 years old, just 45 years old. He left behind a wife and two children, a daughter and a son. All we can say about that is, that is, oh, that hurts our hearts whenever we hear something like that. But let me say this. 
a week before leaving his home for his last mission, he did something special for his children. He recorded video devotionals for them, one for his daughter and one for his son for each of the days that he'd be gone. At the beginning of the tape he left for his seven-year-old son, he said this, this is the quote. Hi, Matthew, I wanted to tell you how much I love you and I wanted to make this tape for you so that you and I could have a devotional time for every day that I'm in space. So what I'm doing is I'm looking at your devotional book and I'm starting on the 16th of January, which is our launch day. And what I will do is I'll read through this book and read the Bible verse also and go through the whole thing just like you and I are sitting there on the couch together. I just wanted to do this because I love you so much and I'm gonna do one for your sister as well. And he recorded those videos. And I think by doing so that Rick Husband gave his children an impression of the worship of God that they will never forget. They will never forget that, that he took that time out to make those. And how precious are those videos, do you think, to his kids today? That's a legacy that you will not regret. And he actually said earlier in his life, he, he said that if he became uh, an astronaut and did not invest in his children, it would be a regret for him. And he showed it right here whenever he recorded those devotionals and took that time. Fathers, I just want to say this. What I want to leave you <coughs> today with is the hope that comes with knowing that God has called you to lead your family in family worship and that he is, he's given you the opportunity to leave the greatest legacy of all and he's given you the grace to do it. It's possible. You can do it. And if you haven't done it before now, no condemnation. Start, start it. Start with 10 minutes and continue with 10 minutes. It's enough. Start it today. I encourage you. Mothers, I wanna say, although the fathers are called to shoulder the weight of ultimate responsibility and accountability for family worship in the home, you also are called as family worship leaders to teach your children, to give them the model of a godly wife and mother and to lead family devotions when dad's deployed or dad can't be there. You share with your husbands equally in the honor and in the legacy of family worship and future generations of your family. And later on in the book of Proverbs, I love how the writer says, listen to the teachings of your mother. There, there's, scripture supports that critical teaching of the mother and how the mother has this role in the legacy of the family and teaching the kids. Um, it's beautiful. I wanna say one more thing, and that's singles. You may someday have the opportunity to lead your family in worship, but in the meantime, your legacy is investing the hope of the gospel in disciples. Don't, don't think, oh, I don't got a family yet, I don't gotta do this. No, God has given you an opportunity. You can have spiritual sons and daughters right now. You can lead them in worship. So I encourage you with that today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us. Us broken, broken, fallen people You've redeemed us and you've called us and you've made it, uh, you made it possible by your grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to leave a legacy through, uh, through teaching our children to worship. I pray that pillar families would, uh, 
share with each other in MCs and, 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 and just hanging out and having dinner together. They share with each other the ideas and, and what works and, and disciple each other on, on how to lead f- their families in worship. And I pray that, Father God, that there would be, um, as we have all of these kids, that, that we, we've been blessed with so many kids in this family, that there would be a legacy through the families here as they, as they teach their children, give, taking every opportunity and scheduling time, setting it aside to worship you and to show their children how to worship. I just pray that that would be so and that, uh, Father God, that you would work um, by your spirit in all of our homes, not just for safety and protection, not just for comfort, but, Lord, that we would worship you and that our worship would be acceptable to you by faith in Christ Jesus that you would make us uh, 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 more able to give you an offering that is, that is more worthy of you, Father God, by your spirit, by your power, and by the sacrifice of Christ Jesus on our behalf. We thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.